0: Hi Democrats, you are listening to another episode of the Duval Dems Podcast. We release an episode every Monday uh, to hear directly from elected officials, activists, and candidates talking about issues and candidacies that you want to hear about. Today we have the pleasure of hearing directly from Representative Anna Eskamani, who represents portions of Orange County in Orlando, and she is here to talk specifically about reproductive rights, and abortion access here in Florida. Um, We also have two people from our comms team uh, who is gonna be joining us for this conversation. Paula Ferguson, who is our co-chair for communications and Dr. Jennifer Coward, who is our first vice chair of the DEC. So Jen, why don't you take it away with the first question?
1: If I could get my buttons to work. Hi, (laughs) Rep. Um, Hi. Hi. Uh, This is a topic that I know is near and dear to both of our hearts, Um, but sometimes we don't talk as much about why we want to protect abortion rights and access as we do playing defense against anti-choice rhetoric. You're a long time pro-choice advocate. Could you give us an elevator pitch on why abortion rights and access are so crucial for any people who could get pregnant?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I'll say is, um, you know, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Um, I actually stay away from the pro-choice uh, versus like pro-life or anti-choice dichotomy because I don't even think that messaging really captures the nuances of this issue. Because there are many, many Americans and Floridians who agree that abortion access should remain safe and legal, but they don't align with any of these labels because each one of us who care about abortion access, we're also very pro-life in the sense that We advocate for expansion of Medicaid. We advocate for prenatal postnatal care, for safety nets, for the child tax credit. So right now, I have filed legislation to eliminate the sales tax on diapers. So we care about you from a justice perspective that whether you decide to become a parent or not become a parent, or you are facing challenges in raising your child, because... Of the place you live, the color of your skin, and and your, the economic disparities, like we care about all of that holistically. And so, when I talk about abortion access, I really do frame it on values versus political verbiage, and 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 that has to be very that's that's very personal. But there are some core values each one of us can agree to. And I think the first one is uh, this is a personal medical decision. It's private, and it's between. Me, my family, my God, my doctor, and no one else. Right. So to frame it as as a private medical decision, which Floridians have overwhelmingly supported, not only in uh, in their own values, but on the in, on the ballot. You know, in 2012, legislators put on the ballot Amendment Six, which was to water down Florida's right to privacy in our state constitution, and it was designed to go after abortion access and. That effort failed miserably in the state of Florida because voters said, "I care about right to privacy. I don't want to see this be taken away from us." And so, I, I, I really anchor ourselves on on that on that perspective on those values. And I would also add that we are we are not in their shoes. Like every situation about a pregnancy is not only private but it's personal. And we should not judge or shame someone for making a decision. We should support them, make sure they have all options in front of them. And whether they decide to become a parent or choose adoption or end that pregnancy, that they're supported in every single direction. And at the end of the day, this is not only an issue of constitutional rights, but it is an issue of justice because we have to make sure that that people have bodily autonomy because it's tied to their economic health and well-being, And we see time and time again that abortion bans in particular, uh, any abortion restriction impact someone's economic security. Uh, if there's bans or restrictions in a state, people with money are gonna be able to find a way to end that pregnancy. They're gonna to travel to a different state. They're going to potentially be able to access um, medication abortion through different ways and, 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 and do so uh, with legal protections if they do face some sort of prosecution for doing that. But it's gonna be the working folks, black and brown folks, folks in rural communities, uh, folks of low income, who are not gonna have options available to them. So we're essentially creating a scenario of, of haves and have-nots. Some folks who have access to an abortion, despite what a state says, and those that don't, and so if you really care about equity and you care about racial justice and you care about um, uh, fairness, this is also an issue of, of of just basic equity to make sure that no matter who you are, the color of your skin, how much money you make, that you have an ability to make an informed decision with every option laid in front of you. Um, and so that's the framework that I really live off. That's the framework that. Um, we've been able to persuade voters on that maybe haven't picked a side on this debate, but see the extremes um, on the rights. And and maybe that they themselves would not make a decision to end a pregnancy, but they wouldn't, wouldn't force someone else to decide on their standards, right? And that goes back to these values. And so maybe you personally wouldn't end a pregnancy if faced with an unplanned pregnancy, but you wouldn't force your choice on others. And that goes back to this notion of, bodily autonomy, freedom as a value, as a like a paramount American value, um, and back to these personal private family values. Like it's a personal decision to end a pregnancy. Some people talk to their family about it. They don't want to talk to politicians about it.
1: Thank you so much. I, I, I really love that, um, bringing that reproductive justice aspect into it because it's all about the health of the the person and the family you know we have people struggling with infertility and we have people with you know unplanned pregnancies that are facing those decisions and all of that uh spectrum is part of those medical decisions and also Everyone's reproductive lives change over time, you know. So there right. may be a time in in you know my life where I am not prepared to um, to have a pregnancy, and there may be times where I very much want to have a pregnancy, and then and then that changes over time and with you know other circumstances. So one person holds multitudes there. So I love that framing very much. I
2: definitely agree with you, and I think you lift up a really good point too around like someone's personal ecology shifting, right? Uh, Depending on where they are in life. And um, this is where storytelling is so freaking important too. And um, there's been some incredible work done, especially among abortion funds, um, where storytelling has been prioritized and storytellers have been amplified because at the end of the day, as Renee Bracey Sherman says, Everyone loves someone who's had an abortion. You might just not know it yet. And so I do think some of our struggles are really just grounded in the shame and stigma that surrounds abortion. And the best way to break that shame and stigma is by sharing stories, amplifying directly impacted people, of course, um, uh, creating space for providers to share their stories as well. Um, And I think when you can create spaces like that, it also helps for people to, to connect on a values-based level because you might be able to relate to that story in some ways. You might see your own daughter in that story, right? And realize that I want my kids to have this decision. It, it's not going to be a, you know an easy one, but I want them to have it. So I, I think that storytelling piece is also really important, it especially has allowed us to build relationships with um, Republican women who, you know, they they know someone who's had an abortion too. I mean, it's just... It's not uncommon, right? I mean, the rate of abortion has declined due to the Affordable Care Act and increased access to contraception. And of course, um, states that have better sexual health education policies tend to have better uh, um, pregnancy prevention resources as well. But um, at the end of the day, I, I, I think that when we, when, we, when we kind of move away from the labels, we're able to build relationships with folks in ways that um, political labels just
1: can't. I love that, thank you so much. Uh, Daniel, I think you have the next question for us.
0: I'm gonna coast on everything that you guys said. Um, I, I think one of the, the best examples when you're talking about telling stories um, is that congressional hearing um, that occurred, I think two weeks ago, where Representative, uh, Congresswoman Cory Bush and um, Pamela John Paul and Robert Lee and Judy and Chu kind of each spoke to their individual stories on how they experienced abortions in their lives, whether it's a personal choice or through a rape or, or a level of circumstance, I think those type of those type of testimonies really humanize that experience and allow people to truly understand what women go through when they have to make these kind of these decisions in the first place.
2: Absolutely, hundred percent, and um, it was very powerful to have members of Congress share their abortion stories, like never heard of right like just really really powerful and it also speaks to like why electing everyday people into office folks with these experiences is so transformational too i
0: agree um but on that on the legal note because we were talking um jen kind of talks about it a little bit but i I wanted to expand on it um uh we've seen texas pass this 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 piece of legislation that essentially bans um abortion after six weeks with no exemptions and essentially creates a a, a bounty type uh system for for people to to really go after their neighbors for these type of procedures um we saw the supreme court obviously not stay the the ruling um thankfully the biden administration the justice department um got a win a couple weeks ago in a federal district court to to put a stay on it but Uh, the fifth circuit um, removed that stay. And now they're going to the Supreme court for a ruling. Um, How do you feel this case is going to go? And we're we're seeing these types of um, possible pieces of legislation kind of pop up in States across the country, Florida being an example of, of one with a bill now just being introduced. Um, What do you think about that? And, and, And do you think these types of bills will get traction in the upcoming legislative session?
2: So a few quick thoughts. Um, You know, first of all, we knew years ago that, like, we could not rely on the court's to protect abortion access, which is why we've really been encouraging advocates to go beyond Roe v. Wade um, and codify these protections in law, which is why, of course, we need to end the filibuster to get this done in the US Senate. Um, but bring it down to the state of Florida, as I mentioned earlier, we have a really strong right to privacy in the state constitution. And this has protected abortion access in the past. Uh, the 24-hour mandatory delay law, which Florida passed back in 2015, and Texas has this, Utah has a delay law, or at least they did, um, It's still in statute. It's just not being enforced right now because it's still being debated. It has a court hearing again in April of 2022. So this right to privacy has, has not, in the past, not only canceled, but it's also delayed the implementation of anti-abortion laws, including the 24-hour mandatory delay, and it's really important to protect that right to privacy. Now, of course, we have a whole new state Supreme Court right now that is more conservative and has yet to deliberate on any type of abortion issue, but this is also a governor that's only signed one anti-abortion bill into law, and that is a parental consent legislation about a year, year and a half ago, which is really interesting because Governor Rick Scott signed five anti-abortion bills his first year in office. And when DeSantis is asked about abortion, he's like super awkward about it. Like it's pretty clear he doesn't want to talk about it. Um, Oh, I noticed
0: that, which is odd for like a Republican.
2: Right. hundred percent. But I think they realize that this this topic is one that does split voters and also wakes up a lot of voters. So if you're going to, you know, go after a Abortion, you're going to wake up a lot of voters that again either have have not been engaged in the political process or two don't have never really thought abortion was at risk, and so never really picked a side in the conversation. And now are are, are picking sides. Um, and we had major turnout, you know, at, a, at rallies across Florida on October second, including in Orlando. I know Jacksonville did too. I was in Brevard County, and there's a huge turnout there and so we're seeing all this energy and outrage and i think the republican party knows that so um to the heart of your question of like what's going to happen in florida so you know haskell 167 was filed by representative webster barnaby volusia county it basically replicates the texas bill in most ways um but i really i really caution um those who care about abortion access to not just talk about the extremes of texas because I don't think that's the version that's going to move in Florida. I've I've already had multiple conversations with, um, not just advocates, but even face-to-face conversations with Republicans and putting my position on the sand and basically stressing that if you're going to go after abortion, that we're not going to take this fight standing down. And the feedback to me, you know, has been unequivocally, uh, anti-abortion on their side but they don't see Texas as the direction they're going to go. It is likely going to be a 15-week abortion ban. Um, And you've already already seen that type of rhetoric from Kathleen Pasademo, the incoming Senate president. Um, The Speaker of the House has been very cautious in how they've talked about abortion. And I think it's going to be a a committee bill that potentially comes out of judiciary, which Representative Aaron Grawl from Indian River County, who files all these bills, is the chairwoman of. And so I really... Uh, encourage advocates to speak about the issue of abortion access holistically. To stand against any new restrictions on abortion, knowing that abortion is already very restricted in Florida. Um, this has been a very interesting um, um, agenda that the right has tried to play in saying that abortion is not very regulated in Florida. Not true. Abortion is heavily regulated in Florida. Um, you know this. The incoming speaker. Uh, Tied to reference Europe as an example, saying that, well, European countries have gestational limits and so forth. Such different examples. In Europe, uh, uh, many countries actually publicly fund abortions, and so you are better able to access an abortion early on in your pregnancy, because finances aren't always a barrier for you. Um, you also have access to just preventative care in general because of uh, universal healthcare programs and so forth. But even beyond gestational ages, because some of your countries do have gestational limits, but when you go beyond the first trimester, many offer broad exemptions. And one of those exemptions can actually be economic insecurity. So despite the perception of gestational limits, Uh, There are different uh, exceptions that are very broad that allow people to still end a pregnancy beyond the first trimester. And again, majority of abortion services are acquired in the first trimester. Those who go beyond the first trimester, it's often because they know they are pregnant. They're trying to save money to end the pregnancy and got pushed into a further gestational age. Um, They might have wished to carry the pregnancy to term and then received uh, uh, a medical information that now they no longer can. So, there are so many other nuances here that we, again, back to this privacy piece to respect. But um, I, we have to be just as aggressive against a 15 week ban like the Mississippi one going to SCOTUS this year, just as we are against a Texas ban. And I think that's my only concern with advocates is that I think we we run towards, you know, express, we, we only run towards action when the most extreme example presents itself. But we have to remember that. Um, this is the state of Florida. This, this state of Florida has tried to ban abortion multiple times over. Um, and just because they don't move a Texas version, they move a different version, doesn't mean our outrage shouldn't still be the same level, the same degree. Because at the end of the day, it is all connected to a national campaign to ban abortion in this country. And so we should be just as outraged as a as a long term strategy that that Florida Republicans present compared to a short term strategy that Texas tries to do.
0: Agreed. I think Jen has the the next question.
1: And I think we're wrapping up here on time, but, um, you know, I really, uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more that I think sometimes the most extreme version of a bill is presented almost as like a threat. And then when it goes through committee and workshop and it becomes "Quote unquote less extreme than you know it's it's seen as oh this is some attempt at bipartisan negotiation and we should accept the 15 week ban because it's better than the six week ban um, when as you point out you know really we're talking about regulating something that is a, a private matter between uh, you know a patient and their doctor and." Um, already well regulated in the state of Florida. It's not a, you know, a major public health concern here. It, you know, people are doing well. And so why add this? So I just want to close us out then. And I think you've already done a little bit of this, but can you call us to action here, uh, you know, as allies, as advocates, as uh, maybe people who are in the space as Democrats who uh, you know maybe have never seen themselves in this you know kind of space before. What can all of us be doing to help right now prevent that that reality that you talked about in Florida or even beyond? What what can we do now to start taking action?
2: So I spoke to um, some advocates today about this who are connected to the Tampa Bay Abortion Fund. Um, there's a few things you can do. I mean, first of all. Uh, center advocacy on directly impacted people, and remember that um, the, the as the political debate continues, there are still people who need this service. Right, so contributing to abortion funds, sharing information on abortion funds, whether in Texas or in Florida, I think all that's very, very valuable. Um, and then the advocacy side, you know, of course, contact your state lawmakers. Like I think for this podcast, most folks know to do that and are doing that. Um, but it's also about base building for 2022. <laughs> so leverage this issue to build the base. Um, I would call inactive democratic voters in Duval and I would tell them about this issue and ask if they're ready to vote in 2022, because based on our records, it says you're inactive and get them to reactivate their voter registration. Like we're doing that with my political committee, people power for Florida, because I, I think that like, the this moment of like building up to November 2022 is so important because it allows us to build a relationship with folks not just on a campaign trail but on issues and on their personal political power and efficacy. So it kind of gives us time to build a relationship with our community that maybe has been apolitical, not registered to vote, inactive. And to help them realize that they have a voice in this process and that their voice is really important because they don't get plugged in now, Florida could very well ban abortion tomorrow, right? So um, I would leverage this time to not only focus on the inside strategy in the chamber, but what's your outside strategy to build power upcoming to the 2022 election cycle and beyond. Um, I know in Duval, we have some very important races right now and the city council level. We have um, Representative Tracy Davis running for the state Senate, and you know, that's going to create another open seat, right? So we have to make sure that there's also good Democrats elected to these positions and not folks that um, have a to their name, but don't actually uplift these values and vote anti-abortion, which by the way, in Duval County, we had that. <laughs> and Representative Angie Nixon got rid of that, but it can come back easily, right? Like, you if we're not thoughtful and strategic and recruiting candidates we will continue to get people with d's next to name that vote against our values i'm not even talking about moderates versus progressives i'm talking about democrats versus democrats who are actually republicans like totally different spectrum here right um but but one that's like even more damaging because at least if i have a moderate democrat we can agree on some things some of these folks like they just vote with Republicans because they want to get their budget project funded and they don't care that like you can't even talk to them about it. So if you're choosing an adversary and a D seat, I'd rather be at least a moderate Democrat than someone that is like straight up Republican and just has a D next name to get elected. Um, so don't lose sight of that. Cause you know, again, we don't have the votes in the chamber, right? And at the end of the day, this is going to be a court battle. We gotta, we gotta make sure people feel the heat, no matter what. And hopefully, that can at least delay this bill and, uh, you know, push it to be less harmful. But at the end of the day, this will be not only a court battle, but this will be a battle in the streets for
0: 2022. Agreed. Well. I just want to thank you for for coming on our podcast. Uh, it means the world to us for us to be able to hear directly from you. I know a lot of people here in Duval are definitely fan fans of yours, and um, love to hear about the advocacy on these issues that you're talking about. Um, abortion and uh, reproductive access is definitely something that's critically important, not only for Democrats but for for all voters and Americans to be able to to have their constitutional rights uplifted and upheld. Um, And hopefully people will be able to give a lot of insight as to this debate and and figure out how they can get engaged and get involved in this fight, because it's not going away. Just like you said, we have a major election for U.S. Senate and for governor and for state House and Senate and Congress. Uh, next year. And we have to make sure that we elect Democrats that are upholding and fighting for these rights, because that's the only way we're going to be able to keep them. Um, but thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. And thank you to all the Democrats that are listening to this latest episode of the Dual Dems podcast. We release an episode every Monday, and you can hear from us next week with a new topic.